Each and every Sunday we gather to worship, but why do we worship the way that we do? I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace, and this is The Day After Sunday, a look at the why behind the worship. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Rebecca. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Day After Sunday. The Day After Sunday. So if you joined us yesterday, um, you were able to be with us for our All Saints Sunday celebration. That was a really beautiful time. We honored, I think, 28 different people who had passed. Um, Many of those families were able to be with us in person, and some watched online and worshiped with us that way. Um, But if you did not get a chance to do that, you can always catch up with what we're talking about on this podcast on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, Um, and then join us in the coming weeks if you like kind of the the little preview that you get here then join us in the weeks to come yeah absolutely it was nice too because we had like you said a lot of the families kind of here as guests and it just felt good to have more people in the space you know like it was nice to to be filled out a little bit more and um you know we're the I I mean I hate to say this because this happened this summer and we got our hopes up but like even with Dallas County moving from the red threat level of COVID down to orange like we've we've loosened our mask mandate a little bit again where we're highly encouraging, especially when we sing, but otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, giving people the option. And so it did. It just felt good to have more people in the space and have a little bit more freedom in that. So, um, yeah, it was a really it was a really great Sunday. This is the first time I've been able to experience All Saints in person, right? Like we mm-hmm. did it last year online, which like we I think we did a good job with it um, and we're yeah. able to honor people through the, the technology and like the way of being on, online only. But um, to do it in person just has a really um, intimate feel, and it's 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 an emotional experience, right? Yeah. One of our congregants said that she's like, I've never done this in a liturgical setting before, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't ready for the flood of emotions that I was going to feel. Yeah, yeah, it was a gift to be able to because you and I were the two that were on either mm-hmm. side, kind of um, guiding people to the candle, and um, there were there were many people who were choking up or just mm-hmm. in full out tears when they totally. came forward and it was it was an honor to be able to to guide them through that yeah um, absolutely yeah yeah and it was good it was good timing like you said it was it felt like we I mean we still would have had in person all saints even if we'd still been in red but the fact that we had right. been like moved to orange allowed us to feel I think a little bit more relaxed about it a little bit yeah. more freedom um maybe you know give some give some hugs if people were comfortable with that yeah um, right just to offer comfort and and welcome and everything so yeah but it was it was a complicated sunday <laughs> i think uh if this is kind of the behind the scenes the why behind the know, worship yeah right the, yeah it was a lot of moving parts um mm-hmm. i don't know probably you felt a similar thing but i had something different scheduled almost every 10 minutes yesterday um, yeah. like moving up from about 8 a.m. until we finished at 12, 12, um, <laughs> I know. or 12, 08, I think is when we finished. Um, a little over. Yeah. But yeah, it was, there was a lot of moving parts. So we had the choir sing, we had the folk band play, we had 28 family or 28 people, few, a few fewer families that some honored yeah. two people. Right. Um, you know, we had a children's time that was different. We'll talk right. about that. Right. Yep. Um, so I guess if we want to just start at the beginning and sort of work through. Um, well, okay, we, should, we, should we even say, like, the history of All Saints? Do we, like, the, this is a tradition that obviously not every church celebrates this, right? Like, sure, And, and yeah. even somebody, one of our current is bringing up that, that at a more liturgical church like this, like, she'd grown up mm-hmm. in a kind of a more, 
I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Like, just not as liturgical, right? Like, yeah. Whether yeah. that's like a non-denominational or whatever church that doesn't celebrate this. Um, usually, I think we might have mentioned this last week on the podcast too. But like, that it, it's tied to All Hallows Eve, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we we celebrated it this Sunday as opposed to last Sunday because last Sunday was actually Halloween. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. It varies based on your tradition, right? Yeah. I mean, it varies if you're Catholic versus Protestant, and then Protestant, all kinds of different um, variations on variations on a theme, if we want to use sure. a musical term. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you do you want to share the the history of it any, or do you know? You know, I don't know that I know it. I, off the top of my head, it just came to my mind that like we we had this day All Saints Sunday, but I don't know like that I know the history all that well. Yeah, and so. Yeah, if you so, do, I mean, great. If not, we can put a pin in that and come back to it later. Sure. Well, I mean, just very briefly, right? It is it is traditionally celebrated on November 1st. It's All Souls Day after right. All Souls Eve. Um, but because that doesn't always fall on a Sunday, of course, we, set, we celebrate it on the first Sunday of November whenever that falls, yeah. which this year was actually the latest it could fall. Right. Um, November 7th is the latest first Sunday. Uh, and... Um, so in Western churches, we typically celebrate that. Um, I believe in Eastern churches, it's uh, the Sunday after Pentecost. So it's earlier in the year. It's a, a really? different time and different like traditions. Yeah. Huh. Um, That's cool. In Roman Catholicism, right, it's a, it's a full-blown feast day. We don't celebrate feast days in those ways with special services in addition to the Sunday worship service. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, yeah, so what we... What we experienced yesterday was a time of remembrance and a holy time of honoring, as we said in our call to worship, that some people bring a grief that's really raw mm-hmm. and some people bring um, a, some joy and even some relief, you know, that their loved one is at rest and at peace and no longer in pain. And so we just sort of try to hold this space for whatever people are feeling that they need to bring to the space. Um, and Phil, I don't know about you, like I've I've been in churches where the traditions have been pretty different. Some some churches, they just read the names and the families don't move. Um, some churches, they the families each receive like a, a rose. Sorry, I'm gonna cough. Hold on. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the rose thing for sure. I think that's a maybe I don't want to say common, but I definitely have seen that experience where that's kind of an expression from the church to the family. Then. Yeah, and um, I mean I think that's beautiful. <clears throat> I think it's we've I've had several people comment that it's different at White Rock because they feel like they're able to give something back by yeah. lighting a candle. They light, mm. um, they add light into the world, and so it's it's healing for them, um, just in a different way than maybe receiving something would be. Um, well, that that yeah. feels really tied to. So I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but like in my in the children's time, right? We we referenced the movie Coco and. The, the idea of, you know, like kind of building an altar in remembrance of our of the woes who have passed before us. And typically there is a candle there, right? So it feels like it has a connection back to the Dia de los Muertos or like that, that kind of stuff that, that maybe we've seen in movies, but we may, we don't specifically maybe do in our own families, but we've, we've seen it, we've referenced it. So like, it feels like it has a good connection and hits on a, a, a lot of different traditions that way. Sure. Yeah, I need to go back and watch Coco because when oh you gosh. suggested, um, yeah, when you suggested last week that we, I think actually what you did was um, you asked Dexter if we could play a clip of the movie, which we weren't able to do, um, but then you looked at me and you you gave me like the sad eyes and you're like, <laughs> I'm so disappointed we can't show a clip of the movie. Could we maybe sing a song from it? I was like, yeah, I think we can do that. And so Ben yeah. 
being one of our uber talented folk band members totally. um he can basically play anything you you put in front of him if he hears it once he can pick it out and play it um and uh so Such we we yes we got it together with just doing part of the song mm-hmm. um but even that little part that we sang i hope was meaningful for people and maybe the maybe kids and adults alike recognized it from when they've watched coco and here's what's so. here's what's so interesting about that movie so my middle daughter who i think has all the feelings but doesn't always know what to do with them because she's six like her favorite movie for the longest time was the nightmare before christmas which you know for a four or five six year old is kind of interesting um but she hates the movie coco and she finally we brought it up yesterday i was talking about it again because i talked about you know this this thing we did in church and and she she's like oh i hate that movie i said why do you hate that movie it's so beautiful the music's fantastic and she's like it's just so sad and i was like there it is like her her sweet little body just doesn't know how to process the emotions she feels in the sadness of that movie and and maybe that's part of the reason why I love it so much is cuz I I do think that it like puts me in touch with my emotions which I'm not always good at doing um but it's just it's such a beautiful like the the cinematography is beautiful um the colors are phenomenal the music really is like both fun and also really heartwarming and and it is it's all it's all about this idea of remembering and I just you know I I'd said this in the children's time but like I lost my dad back in 2008 and so um, there's always something that just tugs at my heartstrings with things like that. And, and so, uh, I was, yeah, I loved it. I loved that, that you were able to teach the, the kiddos and the whole congregation, a song that invites them into remembering those who have gone before us. Yeah. Um, another thing that was different about yesterday too, was that we had four people in stoles, which talking yes. about, uh, the liturgical tradition may be a little unfamiliar to a lot of people. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the meaning? We had two different kinds of stoles. We um, did, so yes. Tell us about that. So in the United Methodist Church, there are, are two flavors of uh, clergy people, right? There's elders and there's deacons. And depending on, again, what denomination you come from, those words mean different things. But elders and deacons are both clergy. And so um, elders will typically wear the stoles that they both go down each side. Like there's two things that go down each side of your body. Whereas deacons wear more of it looks like a sash. Um, and so... Uh, I was wearing my my deacon sash, my deacon stole that says joy on it. Um, it was we were all wearing white because typically on All Saints, um, white is a color. Which we also just learned you could wear black, which I don't have a black stole. So, um, but I really lo- like my white stole. My white joy stole is one of my favorite stoles. Um, I used to wear it on Easter all the time. Uh, I often will wear it during weddings. Actually, if I'm doing a full robe and everything. The interesting thing was I'd done a, a wedding renewal the night before and wore it for the wedding renewal, and then I came the next morning and wore it for this. Um, but yeah, like there's white, there's uh, green that's usually kind of ordinary time, and ordinary time is a, a f- kind of a funny way to put it, but it's the majority of the year is known as ordinary time, and so green is our typical color there. Red is another color that we'll use sometimes, and uh, usually red is only used on Good Friday, I think, and then also we use it maybe on Pentecost, if I remember right, and then during ordination services. So uh, my red stole does not get a whole lot of use out of it typically. And then there's also either blue or purple that that gets brought um, typically around also High Holy Days or during, um, I think it's during Lent and Advent, right? Or is it just Lent? Yeah. No, it's Lent and Advent. Okay. Um, so would you say that a stole is uh, a marker for you? I mean, is that is that a distinguishing characteristic? Because a lot of people, when they see a clergy collar, that's a little more familiar to them. They're like, sure. oh, I see them in the hospitals, or I see them, you know, uh, at Catholic churches, or I see them yep. on the streets. Um, stoles are a little bit less common. I mean, 
You yeah. don't see a lot of people walking around the streets or walking around in hospitals with with stoles on. No, you're absolutely right. And and it's interesting you say that because a lot of the times when I do kind of political advocacy stuff as well, I'll show up in a stole, usually in my joy stole, right? Because it's like I'm, I'm here to, to, with a message, but I'm also here bringing joy. And one of the greatest uh, get one of the greatest things that was ever said to me was by a mentor who said that you you bring joy to justice, which is not always easy to do. And so, yeah, I, I, some of our Methodist colleagues will wear uh, a collar, a clergy collar, but a lot of us wear stoles. And and I don't know why the distinction is. Maybe it's because we're just not quite Catholic enough to wear the the clergy collar. But uh, but the stole runs pretty deep and. It's it's interesting at White Rock because you know we don't typically wear robes at White Rock, but but we do rock the stoles, whereas more even more traditional uh, congregations will have a full robe um, or a cassock, and then they'll also wear a stole too. And the distinguishing thing is is um, anyone can really wear a robe, but whenever you get um, when you get commissioned as a clergy person, you can't actually wear the you're not you're not supposed to wear the stole until you're fully ordained, and that's a two year process typically in the mm-hmm. Methodist Church. And so some churches don't really pay attention to it as much, but but the the traditional way to do it is you you can wear the the robe, but you can't wear the stole until you're fully commissioned as a, a full um, elder or deacon in full connection is what it's called. So so yeah, it's it's part of the garb, right? And it is it's it is it's a distinguishing f- um, feature. And um, you know I'm I'm not one that's ever going to say like oh you shouldn't or you can't do that. I've had people be like uh, I, like one time I wore a, an elder stole because I didn't have a deacon stole in the right color. And somebody came up and they were like, I didn't know you transferred your orders to Elder. And I was like, I, I, I didn't. I just didn't have it. And they were like, oh, okay. Just wanted to check. Okay. Like, calm down. Um, you know, but, but there is. There's a distinguishing factor. And I really, I really do wear my deacon still with pride because it is unique and it is different. And, and I do feel a specific call to be a deacon in the Methodist Church. So Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a whole different conversation. We should have we should set aside an entire episode sometime and maybe have you know Mitchell on here so we have a, a deacon and an sure. elder who can have those conversations. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that so the the colors going back to what you were saying about the liturgical colors, that's another thing that is very tied to different traditions. You uh-huh. don't find in you don't find in the Bible that it says Jesus says you need to wear red these days. You need to you yeah. Know, it's it's become part of our tradition, um, and it's a it's a part of not just Christian tradition, but traditions throughout history that talk about you know setting aside times as holy and as different, mm-hmm. and um, the the significance of the colors changes based on which tradition you come from. So um, as you said, you know we typically wear uh, blue or purple during Lent and Advent. Um, there are there are other options for that. We typically wear white, not just on Easter Sunday, but for the Easter season between Easter and Pentecost, which is 50 days or about six six to seven Sundays. Um, and then, as you said, the ordinary time is uh, whatever doesn't fall into a holy season. Right, right. <laughs> which I always feel kind of bad for the color green because I'm like, oh, you're still special, even though we call you ordinary all the I time. Um, but, yeah, this All Saints is very much – a reflection of how we in Christianity and in a lot of different traditions, we view death not as the end, but as a continuation. Oh yeah, um, that's good. And so that's why I think I always gravitate more towards the white and the gold instead of other colors is because of this um, sort of connection with Easter. It is the dying and the rising again. Um, as Keith brought out in our communion liturgy too, of uh, Christ lived, died, and now lives again. 
it's that important third part. We can't just stop mm-hmm. at the lived and we can't just stop at the died. Um, but yeah, you know, and I think the <laughs> Keith's sermon, you can talk about <laughs> that, was very cool. And I really appreciated that he did what I love to do with scripture is to, if you start a scripture with a word like therefore, you mm-hmm. know that there's a story behind it. What's therefore, never, therefore? Mm-hmm. Therefore, yeah. You never start a, a sentence with a normal person with the word therefore. Because um, it has to lead from somewhere. Yep. And so talking about these kind of baseball card heroes of our faith um, was a really neat concept, you know, to talk mm-hmm. about Hebrews 11. We didn't read, but we hear about all of these baseball card heroes. And then we get to Hebrews 12 and finally we, we get the culmination. Therefore, yeah. since we have this whole collection of saints that are giving us wisdom and strength now we can run with perseverance the race you you keep saying baseball card heroes um if you haven't listened to the sermon or haven't heard it yet it's because that was a, a big metaphor throughout much of the sermon was was tied back to baseball and baseball cards and yes. baseball card heroes so yeah so yeah it was, it was good also the first time i have ever seen a pastor act out the hokey pokey during I the mean, sermon. I mean, we sang Coco, we acted out the hokey pokey, <laughs> y'all. It was, a, it was a day, as we also remember the saints that have right. gone before. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Keith had incredible energy yesterday. It was really fun. And and it's so interesting just to, to pay attention to the different preaching styles, right? And like, yeah. like obviously, it's a different generation, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, Mitchell um, is the son of Keith, which I'm sure yeah. most people who listen to this probably do know that, but... But even like seeing the difference between Keith as the dad and Mitchell as a son and how different the preaching styles are, even though that's what Mitchell grew up with, right? And I'm yeah. sure Keith's preaching style has evolved over time too, right? Like hopefully sure. hopefully all of our – we're all constantly evolving. But but to have that um, variety of, of different preaching styles I think is really helpful. And I could just tell, like I could even just feel like some of the older folks in our congregation resonating so much more with what Keith was saying because it just seemed like, a, again, kind of a generational thing maybe. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it, night and day. I mean, you said uh-huh. you said before, you and Mitchell have different preaching styles as well, but yours are probably a little more similar right. to each other than yeah. Keith's was. So it was it was a good breath of fresh air, and also just really great to see him feeling better. I and know, he's been yeah. very open about that. You know, he's so grateful to this community for supporting him and Diane through what was supposed to be a routine procedure and ended up being like three weeks of yeah of uh, just health issues for him. Right. So. Yeah, yeah it's totally. good to see him. Good to see him feeling better. I had one, um, speaking of baseball real fast. I had one person come to me afterwards and like, man, Keith really hit it out of the park. And I was like, oh my ha, gosh, ha, ha. the metaphor <laughs> continues. Here we go with some puns. That's funny. Love it. Um, you know what I was thinking this morning? Because as I was driving into work today, I was re-listening to parts of our podcast from last week. Uh, which I try to do just to make sure I remember. A week is a long time, especially in pandemic time. And so yes. I was like, wait, what did we talk about? And don't you hate it when you say something that's so darn wise and you need to, like, tell yourself that thing the next week? Like, it's like you're preaching to yourself. Because I went back and listened to the podcast last week. Um, and I didn't mean that to sound like, oh, I'm so wise. I hate being so wise. But it's uh, it's not me, right? It's, it's this, I think, the Holy Spirit kind of moving sure. to say – wait, Rebecca, you just talked about imperfections and how it's not a uh, 
it's not an arrival point, it's a process, right? And I think it's only fair to our community and our listeners. We talk on this podcast a lot about what went well, um, but also to talk about when things don't go so well, which is when I totally miss, like, I just lost track of the service. It was, again, it was a really complicated service. Um, because we barely even cues. mentioned that it was also communion Sunday, right? On it top was also of all communion. that else. Yeah. yeah. So we had, um, I mean, we had organ and piano and folk band and choir and communion and All Saints and, you know, and, and, and. Yeah. Um, we're also down two staff people right now. And so. And we were missing uh, one of our tech people, too. So. And we were missing one of our tech yeah. people. And so it was like Dexter was doing two jobs. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we got done with the communion liturgy and we did the Lord's Prayer, my mind was already on the next thing. And so I walked up to the mic and I started introducing the offertory. And then all of a sudden I hear over my left shoulder, Rebecca, Rebecca, it's not time yet. And then I turn around and Mitchell's like looking very confused. I'm like, oh yeah, we, uh, we didn't actually take communion. We did all the liturgy. <laughs> the liturgy we didn't actually it. do it. Because in my head... There's not so much of a marker when we're just taking it in our seats, yeah, right? No, there's for not sure. so, there's not as much of a marker, um, but yeah, because t- it was, traditionally, right? Typically, people come, come forward, forward, and yeah. it's a whole big thing. It takes you know six or seven minutes, and it's yeah. you know it's a it's a ritual. That's sort of there you go, yeah. Um, which it still is, but very different. So anyway, I uh, I tried to play it off. I was like, oh, and everything I just said, we'll do that after we take after. <laughs> I need to go find a freeze frame because Mitchell's face was so – he was so confused. Like, did something happen? Did I miss something? Like, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. And You're, we've all done that, right? Maybe well, not so conspicuously, but um, – The funny thing is we have all done that. Like, yeah. Mitchell's gone up at the wrong time. I've gone up at the wrong time. It's just like – you know, sometimes we pass it off and you never even notice. Other times you're like, wait, did they just walk across there without <laughs> – like, what is happening? Yeah. Sometimes we get caught up and just miss it. And that's, you know, I, I love that you referenced back to that from last week about the imperfection because I had forgotten that. So mm-hmm. that's a really good inclusion and, and a good reminder to both of us, right, that yeah. it's going to happen. Super annoying, though, because I really want to be perfect. It's frustrating that I can't be. <laughs> One I have to have words with Jesus about that. Um, <laughs> You're going on. You're moving on toward perfection. Moving on to perfection. You know what we forgot to talk about? And this is something that I wrote down in my notes. Um, So Keith used a word that I don't think is very familiar to people. Um, He used the word pericope, which if you've been to seminary, you probably know. But if you haven't, even if you're well-read and very intelligent, you you may have never heard that word before. Um, Am I right about that? It's it's not not a familiar word. It's not a word that makes it into many people's vocabulary. Can you tell us what it means? So Yeah, so the word meaning a specific segment of of a passage or a reading. So a pericope of a text would be like the specific verses that you were referring to. So we read what? uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, I think. Yeah. And so that's the pericope that was chosen, that was read from the greater text of the the letter to the Hebrews. um, Yeah. And specifically of chapter 12. So yeah, pericope being a a very theological seminary term, academic word. Um, but it's it's a good word, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's what is it P E R I C O P E? I had to write it out. I think that's how you spell it. Yeah. So when I first read that word before I had ever heard it spoken, I thought it was pronounced pericope. Pericope. I mean, wouldn't that be a very logical thing to think? Sure. Yeah. Like, why like is envelope. the accent on the e? Right. Right. right? For sure. <laughs> you don't say envelope. And uh, <laughs> maybe we should. <laughs> it's way more fun. <laughs> But yes, I have to tell a little story too um, about pronunciations. Uh-huh. So, 
pericope instead of pericope also made me think when I first read Harry Potter, um, I had never, I, I had not been exposed to the name Hermione before. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in, you know, the middle of North Carolina, you don't find a lot of girls named Hermione. No. Um, so I thought it was pronounced Hermione. I was like, that's a really weird name, but I'm just going to sound it out and keep reading. Because I was like, what, you know, eighth grade when it came out? So um, when I saw the movies, I was like, oh, that's her name? I, I had never, way off. I had never heard it pronounced. So, yeah, it's just a little fun tidbit of things that we read and we never hear. And then we hear it, we're like, oh, that's, that's how that's supposed to sound. The funny thing is, is when I used to read names that I couldn't pronounce in books, I would just do the first letter. And then when it would come to test time, I'd be like, uh, what was that person's name? Because if there were multiple choice and two of them had the same H, I would be like, I don't, I don't know. I just called them H in my head the whole time. Oh, anyway. that's interesting. How our minds work. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. So we can't, we can't do the Day After Sunday podcast without at least getting into some of the music. And, sure. Um, so, there, so the anthem was River in Judea, which mm-hmm. I, had, I don't think I've ever heard before. Yeah, it's one of our favorites, um, certainly one of my favorites. I think it's a lot of the congr- the choir's favorite, too. Um, it's a, it's one of the anthems that has become a standard for us, and it's neat especially because there are multiple arrangements of it, huh. um, so it's very flexible. Not every composer does this. Actually, I would say most don't. Um, they compose an anthem or, or a piece of music with a specific voicing in mind, which means, like, I want this to be composed for soprano and alto voices, so it's SSA, uh, or I want this to be composed for a four-part ensemble choir, so it's SATB, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. Um, Many of them just have one arrangement because that's how they compose it. Um, Sometimes, though, you either get an arranger who comes in and arranges it differently or the composer themselves says, you know, I, I hear different voicings of this and I'm going to publish not just an SATB, but also, let's say, a TTB, which is tenor, tenor bass, or just a, um, a lower voice ensemble. I don't want to say men's ensemble, right? Because we have sure. female tenors, we have male altos. So, um, But this anthem, River in Judea, is, I was actually having a conversation with a, a new friend of mine who's also a choir director, um, and he said... I have done that anthem at every church I've ever been at, um, but I've never done a B version, which is what we did yesterday. And huh. I just thought that was interesting because there are seriously yeah. probably six, five or six maybe different arrangements of that beautiful anthem. And it's for any choir of any size. You know, if you if you want to do SAB, do that. If you want to do SATB, then there's that available too. So I think that's really cool. I just learned a whole bunch of things. First of all, that there are acronyms that, and that they make sense now that you said them. But yep. had you said all these things before, I'd have been like, "Huh? Yeah, like, right." I don't know what any of these acronyms mean, but that's really <laughs> interesting. I, and I didn't know that on the arrangement piece either. So yeah. clearly, I did not study music. So thank you for for teaching me that. But, sure. Um, what What is it you think? Is it the like, what is it about that anthem that you think makes it a a favorite? Hmm. I mean, I think the style, the that sort of like gospel swing, is very. Mm easy to listen to um and fun to sing it's got these wonderful lush harmonies um it's a challenge but it's not an unreachable challenge we do Mm. some pieces that we it it, the ending product is beautiful and hopefully gives glory to god but it's hard to get there and then there are other pieces like this that are just fun to learn um because the melodies are are these sweeping, really fun lines, and it's just a joy to learn. Joy, like your stole, you know. Um, And I 
also think, too, you know, I personally find that anything with water imagery um, is really, really cool and beautiful because so often composers will sort of text paint and you get these flowing lines that sound like water and sound like a, a river. Um, mm. So it just, just for whatever reason, I just love the, word reasons, te- or the, the term text painting. That's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think we should ask some choir members, too, what, what moves them about that piece because it is a lot of their favorites. Yeah, that's great. So you, you had that flowing anthem Mm -hmm. and then we ended or the the offertory was a no grave right (laughs) right yeah i mean that was a jam right have you ever heard of that band cricket still i don't i mean the name does sound familiar but i could i could never think of any songs that they had done so well i was looking up before this podcast i was looking up to see if i could find out why they were named crooked still because i feel like it's an interesting name i couldn't Mm -hmm. find why they were named it um there are a group I believe out of Boston um, that kind of met, you know, they, they formed the band in the Northeast and um, I couldn't find why they chose the name Crooked Still, but I did discover that they would categorize themselves as progressive bluegrass, which I've never heard that phrase before. Fantastic. <laughs> but it does kind of speak to exactly what our folk band loves to do, which is to take, you know, we have modern sort of... Um, voices and instruments and we don't go really towards the uh the ancient so much although i do love the ancient we can talk about that too um but it is sort of that progressive take on a more country or bluegrass style mm-hmm. um and sarah and i just sort of split the lead vocals which i also thought was fun a little bit of variety yeah, it was cool. um but yeah so it was bass viola uh ukulele banjo <laughs> guitar <laughs> i mean it was amazing. Kyle, I mean, that opening bass line was oh, really cool. Yeah, like the totally. whole, It was just, it's a really neat song. I'll get it posted up on our social media this week because it was just a really great song and had me had me jam in there toward the end. Yeah. Yeah, after we sound checked, I put my headset on to ask Dexter, uh, which I do every time, and I'm like, hey, you know, what needs to be louder? What needs to be softer? He was like, that made me happy. <laughs> like, okay, which was right. good because he was stressed yesterday. Yes. So yes. That's, that's helpful. Yeah. No, I thought it was a great song. Uh, like I said, I'll get it up on social media this this week. So if you didn't get a chance to hear it, again, you can go back on Facebook and YouTube and watch the whole service or just check our our social medias and you'll be able to check that that song specifically. So anything else from yesterday that really stood out? You know, I, I just think I want to circle back to Keith's sermon, and he made three very rich points. But the one that stuck out to me was um, this holy life expects your full attention. Yeah. I wrote down that phrase, um, that the word saint may have a lot of weight attached to it, or maybe even a lot of baggage, depending on what your mm. um, tradition faith is. tradition is. Mm. But this, again, this, this holy life or this saintly life, if you want to use that word, um, demands your full attention. Just like mm-hmm. the hokey pokey, put your whole self in. <laughs> you can't just do one arm or yeah. one leg. Got to yeah. put your whole self in. Play ball! Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think he about gave people a heart attack when he did that at the end of the sermon. <laughs> Hello, wake up. Hello, wake up, yes. Pull a little Beethoven action there. <laughs> um, no, yeah, he... <laughs> I can't get over the hokey pokey thing. <laughs> it was really funny just to watch him literally dancing around up there. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was it was just phenomenal energy. But, yeah, it was, it was, like I said, the first time to be in person for an All Saints service was... 
it was a meaningful experience and, and what a joy to be able to lead from the front and mm-hmm. be up there and um yeah I, again i haven't had anybody like real close to me past this past year that we were honoring but it's always a really um endearing time to be able to to meet people in that space mm-hmm. and to kind of like take myself back into that space too so um, and then we didn't say this because it wasn't exactly worship, but we, you know, then people gathered on our steps last night for a, a little vigil too, which was just really beautiful. And um, if you if you follow us on Instagram, you can go and just see some really cool pictures in our stories. I'll probably get I need, I need to post them on the actual um, our, fo- our profile feed too, because the the church at night from the outside with the, the sanctuary and the stained glass is just breathtaking and then to have the candles in front of it there it was really really pretty so thanks to you and and you you had some choir folks help you get that going last night too so yeah yeah, it was a really sweet it was a really sweet day Mm -hmm. just a real sweet day yeah last night was a much needed contrast from the morning i think because the the worship service was so complicated and so rich and so um loaded (laughs) with different things that then the people who came to both I think experienced the difference of yeah. last night was just totally emptied out. It was just some instrumental music playing on a little speaker and some candles yeah. and some chairs, and it was colder than I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I know I for one really needed that space. So. Yeah, it was very peaceful until my kids showed up, <laughs> and then it was crazy. No, Big, but actually, it was really sweet. They like said these sweet little prayers too and lit candles and yeah. It was very sweet. Yeah. Big shout out to Chase and Joel and Nancy, who are yeah. members of our um, worship design team that they helped with all of the setup and tear down and yep. welcomed great. people. So, yeah. It was great. And guess what? We'll do it all over again next Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Different, but. <laughs> very different, but Sunday comes every week. <laughs> well, thanks. What everybody. do we have coming next Sunday? Um, we have, we're going to do, we have two Sundays between now and when Advent starts. So it's a little bit of an odd time we're not going to do a series per se Um, we're just going to back in the spring you probably remember this but I don't know if everybody does we sort of made the decision to whenever we had some what we call one-off Sundays where they're not officially part of a series we're going to focus in on one of Jesus's parables and that's going to sort of be our grounding point so for the next two weeks we're going to focus on some of Jesus's parables and sort of hopefully just clear the air and clear some space as we prepare for another busy season of Advent and going into the end of the year and all that brings with it. Yeah. Because yes, if you didn't hear that or if you're hearing it for the first, Advent is just three Sundays away, mm-hmm. which true. is just crazy. It's true. Which means Thanksgiving so. is just two weeks away. So. I know. <laughs> I can't even wrap my head. Crazy. Well, yeah, like you you were just starting to say, you know, we look forward to, to seeing everybody again on Sunday, and we hope you can join us for in-person worship here at 1450 Old Gate Lane. If not, we hope you'll join us uh, online, whether that's on Facebook or YouTube, and we're always just grateful for people who join us on the podcast, too. So feel free to reach out to us. You can uh, you can email us at worship at wrumc.org uh, and send us any of your worship questions, or if you have why questions of the why behind the worship, we'd love to know those, too. Um, or just to say, hey, and let us know what it is that you love about worship. We'd love to hear that. So thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you on Sunday. Take care, everybody. The Day After Sunday is a production of White Rock Media Network. Join us next week for another look at the why behind the worship.